Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. I'm George Cooper and welcome to the show. And what a show we have for you today. Ear to ear smiles across the entire Fulham fan base as we put 21 years of her to Old Trafford behind us to seal the most dramatic of 2-1 victories thanks to our soaring Super Eagles. It was breathless, it was chaotic, it was entertaining, it was this Fulham team at its best. We've got plenty to cover today, so I'm just going to dive straight into it. I'm joined by the one and only Dan Cook, who was at Old Trafford yesterday. I cannot tell you how jealous I am. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing so well. It's like hands down the best away day ever. Like I know recency bias is a thing, but nothing will ever top that. (laughs) <laughs> best away day ever you've heard it here first Avas Malik is also with me how you doing mate I'm very well uh, George how are you doing oh I am absolutely I've been buzzing since quarter to five yesterday afternoon and I, I've honestly it's been just so, just a joyous joyous performance and um, a little plucky upstart that we've uh, <laughs> that we've recruited today on the other side of the mic for once it's Mr Sammy James making a rare appearance as a pundit how you doing mate yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, this is this is actually really surreal, but um, I'm delighted on this day of days to uh, to to make the switch over to the dark side. <laughs> I believe you've got some uh, some in a world exclusive, uh, some a Sammy James three word review session. Would you yeah, like not to kick us off. Not gonna lie, when I woke up this morning, a little bit tired. I uh, had a couple of beers last night and I saw the text, can you do three word reviews? I was like, oh, what's happened here? Um, but I'm more than happy to oblige. So Queen City Fulham said, Metro exorcism complete. Uh, Fulham Brooklyn, Triore tears Trafford. Uh, C Hunt just said, that's lol Trafford, uh, which I particularly enjoyed. Ari Odza, Obi-Wan Awobi. Uh, Jacob Kasanoff, Super Eagle Saturday. Uh, I particularly liked this one, Fulham in Philadelphia. And the name of who gave the free word review is quite important here. Fly Eagles Fly. Uh, and if you NFL heads will understand that one. Uh, Up the birds. Lind- <laughs> Lindsay said Red Devil Redemption. And Jack and Loz, Where Eagles Dare. Oh, fertile grounds this morning, I feel, for three word reviews. Fertile ground indeed. Avas, what were your expectations going into this game? Obviously, we were without key personnel, no Jao Pelinia, no William, no Raul Jimenez. 
Manchester United also had their absentees, which uh, they do not hesitate to mention. Hoyland, their striker at Shaw, um, big sort of, you know, admissions from starting lineup. I don't know about you, but I went into it. I, I was expecting chaos. I said it in the in the group chat before. I, I felt like something was going to happen. Given everything that's happened in this fixture in recent years and the meetings between these two sides, the form, the oh, unpredictability, Manchester United just being Man U. What, going into this game, what were your feelings? Well, particularly I was worried they didn't have Polina in that middle because United are absolute chaos. They don't really have a structure centrally because Casemiro and Manu, they, they do what they want. They push forward so much. Look, if we had Polina, we would absolutely dominate this game. And I wasn't wasn't hugely confident going in, but I'm, I have the displeasure of having United fans live with me and texting me every day. So I kind of learn the struggles that United go through or struggles, you say in inverted commas, um, being like the worst run club in the world and all these kind of exaggerated things. And you hear that in the injury crisis is why they are where they are. Um, but I was expecting chaos as well. I wasn't wasn't hugely confident. And even when the team came out, I was thinking, reading Lukic, where are we going to get creative from? And what are we going to, how are we going to push the team forward? But Lukic was an absolute re- revelation in that game. He, I, thought he, I thought he dominated that midfield, particularly in the first half, the couple of, a couple of runs that he did to start off attacks it just gave us hope that actually Marco is an absolute genius and he knows what he's talking about when he like, bigs up players when he's holding on to players and like as they as we grew into that game we absolutely like dominated like from minute one to probably about minute well minute 75 when we changed the the formation um and I Oh, I, I was I was there for it. I was it was an absolutely brilliant performance and one of the last pods I was on was against Arsenal where we spoke about how we actually dominated a proper team. And this felt like a similar kind of performance where, although United aren't the United of old, they're still Man United. And we turn up on their patch and we were the better team from minute one to minute 90. And the chaos was from them. We were organised. We were, well, eventually, finally clinical at the very end of a game where normally we're the ones that are heads in our hands. Um, and it was just a, a brilliant, brilliant afternoon. Mm. It, this this wasn't a smash and grab. It, this wasn't a sort of, you know, we go away, we we cling on for dear life and we somehow come away with three points. We outperformed Manchester United in every single element of this game. And I was like looking through the, the lineup because there wasn't a single player who was off this game. Arguably, you know, we'll probably come on to Manchester United's goal and, and who potentially could have been uh, better there. But Literally, you go through our lineup. Everyone had a blinder. Lucic, Lukic, as you mes- uh, mentioned, Abbas. Reed was incredible. Tosin, unbelievable. Bassi, Kearney when he came on. Awobi, Muniz. Just every single person knew exactly what they needed to do and delivered. I mean, Sammy, how do you, if you were to pick a man of the match out of our lineup, where do you even begin? I know. I, I actually don't know who's man of the match. I would probably go Muniz because I just thought he was amazing and, and his transformation has been something else. But Sasa Lukic, a really close second, a really close second. I mean, the thing is against Manchester United is that, that we, we've done this before. All of the games last season, we dominated Manchester United as well. Like in the, the home game where Dan James scored that equaliser was a completely deserved equaliser. We all know about the FA Cup game and what happened there. And even the league game at the end of last season, for the first half, we should have been 2-0 up if we um, didn't have a spoiled child that demanded to take penalties. So, (laughs) and then in the home game this year, again, Polina should have put us 1-0 up in the second half. We were the better team there. And that's why I fully thought we were going to lose this game. 
because we just know this script. Every time we play Manchester United, we are the better team and we lose. And so all the way through, you know, after we, after the first half and it was still nil and I was like, well, okay, well, I, well, well let's just wait for United to get their goal or get their moment. And you sort of almost saw it with Diogo Dalla that they can do something out of nothing. Um, and he hit the post. And yeah, as, as, as Dan kind of alluded to, when it went to 1-1, 2-1 Fulham was never on my register. It was just fully, hold on, just hold on to one all now. Hold that, like, this will end up 2-1 United unless we can just put in a rear guard action. But actually, you saw in about minute 94, suddenly the Fulham players went, hang on, why, why are we defending for our lives here? We can literally just give the ball to Adama and, and we might actually nick a goal. And it's exactly what happened. Mm. I don't oh, know if you was... heard it on the, on the match of the day commentary, but the, it was Guy Mowbray said, well, Fulham just shouldn't bother going 1-0 up against Manchester United. It always goes wrong for them. And I was like, yeah, yeah, until today, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, until, until yesterday afternoon, uh, he, he wasn't wrong, in fairness. I mean, it was such an entertaining match, particularly the, the dying sort of stages of the first half. It was just end-to-end. There was like nothing, like Manchester United's midfield was like red smoke. Just <laughs> literally breezed through it. It was just up at our end. We obviously didn't have our shooting boots um, on for, for large periods of the game and certainly neither did Manchester United. It was kind of like watching a duel, but both outlaws having sunk a bottle of bourbon beforehand. It was just <laughs> chaos, end-to-end <laughs> stuff. I mean, enough's been said already about Marco Silva, but Dan, I just wanted to ask you what particularly impressed you about the way that this Fulham team set up in order to you know, take the game to Manchester United in the manner that we did? I thought we were really brave in possession, which which was a big part of why we were able to break through them. I think we saw the opposite in the game we had recently against Bournemouth, where we know that Bournemouth are a really well-drilled pressing unit. And so we didn't try and play through it. We just went long to Rodrigo Muniz constantly, so we didn't get caught. Whereas I think we saw Manchester United and we're like, actually... Well, you can play against this United side. You can get through them. And we played proper football. We broke through the lines. You know, Lukic was so key at the base of that midfield, just linking up play. But the, I thought Andreas Pereira put in a really good shift as well because he was actually, for the first time in a long time, he was like constantly involved as opposed to drifting in and out of the game. He always felt like an option. He was receiving the ball in dangerous areas. And the number of times when you just had a look and it was one pass and then we were just like three on four, just charging at their back line. Like you watch it on the highlights as well. If they actually, I was wondering at the time during the game if I'd have just thought I'd seen it more than it happened, but the highlights just reflected it. Like we were just running at them and breaking through them, and it was just a brave performance. It wasn't, and I think there there is an element that that Old Trafford, whilst it's still an amazing ground with loads of history, it just isn't the the scary place it used to be to go. And so we just had the confidence to go and play proper football and take on United. And we've just played better football than them. We were the better team. Mm, no, we certainly were. We certainly were. Avas, it was the return from the African Cup of Nations, from our Super Eagles, um, Bassi and Awobi. Not a bad return, shall we say. How important do you feel these two players are for this current film side? 
seeing Calvin Bassey in this in that role is just a, a, a an absolute comfort. He is so Royals Royce in that position because he's so strong, he's so quick, but he can he can pass the ball. And it was a, a really nice, sweet justice that he scored with his right foot after the struggles he's had playing on the right side of that centre back pairing. To smash that with his right foot just felt great. Um, and for him to start with a Wobi who then had needed, I think needed that moment given that the the struggles he had with the the Nigerian fans after the Afcon tournament. It was really nice to see him have a huge moment so quickly because we gave him a, we gave him a brilliant um response when um when he was warming up um against villa and it was really important that we gave him that the, those cheers but to see him score a winner that's going to lift him immensely um and like the two of them that team they tra- they change they change how we play and they make us realize how much we needed them over this last month when they were away Iwobi's dynamism his creativity but also he is versatility. He, he started off on the left. He drifted centrally. He played on the right. He, he, when he's on that team, particularly when Willian's around as well, they are so fluid in that front three um, that it just transforms where we play. And as Dan was saying, when we, when we sort of broke on them, he was always the forefront of that with AP and, and uh, Lukic, but also um, Harry Wilson as well. They, they were just so fluid that we, they couldn't handle us. And oh, I, lo- I absolutely love Calvin Bassey. And it was so funny talking about BBC interviews. Marco Silva was asked afterwards, did you see Calvin Bassey's celebration? Because he had like three or four celebrations he had to get through before uh, before game started. One of which was Dancing with Mooners, which I think has to be everyone's celebration now because that guy can <laughs> cut some shapes. Have you, uh, have you learned that routine yet, Sammy? I, I have not, but I have got a lesson booked in for Monday, actually. So um, hopefully I can, uh, I can get it sorted. I mean, I just like on Bassey, I think the debate's over now about our centre-back pairing and which is the strongest. Like, it is just Bassin and to- Bassi and Tossin. I nearly said Bassin. Um, just, uh, just amalgamated the two. Um, <laughs> it is just Calvin Bassi and Tossin Adrobio. And it's really sad that Tossin still hasn't signed a contract and still the likelihood is that he will not be here next summer because we have found the best centre-back pairing. And barring that Newcastle away game, they've been pretty much flawless every time they played together. And that Newcastle away game was, was weird. We were down to 10 men. I think that was mitigating circumstances. We just played Everton in the cup, I think as well. Or we were, no, we were looking ahead to Everton in the cup, weren't we? Um, and I just feel every time, even when Bassey stepped onto the pitch for the last 15 minutes against Villa, I thought that this Fulham team dramatically improved. And, I'm really excited for these two to get a run. And I feel terrible because I love Tim Ream and I like Issa Diop. And I think Issa Diop's got his qualities, but these two are just together streets ahead. Mm. I think the thing about them as well is that you've got a centre-back pairing who are both quick enough to deal with strikers trying to get in behind you and aerially strong enough to deal with crosses into the box or long balls. Like They, they, they really can, can tackle attacks it in any way like we saw it yesterday against United they just there were times when United resorted to crossing the ball constantly into the box and there was no danger at any point because our, our boys were all over it and then they try and get in behind and you know Tossin I think visibly doesn't look that quick but he's got such long legs that he covers so much ground and we know that Bassey's quick so having that versatility I think is is so important as a pairing. You also had a huge hand in that Bassey goal. It was like it was like a throwback to our set pieces from the championship because he blocks Ericsson, who's supposedly marking Bassey, and Ericsson just stood there afterwards. He couldn't couldn't care less, it seems, and that allowed Bassey to give Castagna the probably the funniest assist you'll see all season, off banging off his chest before he slammed it in. Um, so I think their partnership is brilliant, and I just think that we are so much more solid with them there. They were goal threat as much as they are brilliant defensively, um, and we're just a better team with them. 
them both there. How much, by the way, was um, the goal that Bassi scored? It felt so similar to the goal that Mitro scored in the FA Cup. It was Andreas Pereira from the same corner. And I'm pretty sure that Bassi was in the same spot that Issa Diop was when he did that flick on that obviously eventually fell to Mitro. I was there going like, hang on, I've seen this before. <laughs> it's literally, <laughs> and it was almost the exact same point in the match as well. I was like, this is weird how similar that is. Luckily it didn't end the same. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, Nearly yeah, did. Absolutely. <laughs> Sammy, do you feel that Tosin's commitment, his signature, a new deal for Tosin should should be a priority for the for the higher ups at Fulham right now. I think, yeah, hundred percent. I can't think who else would be more of a priority now, considering pretty much anyone that we were worried about has signed a new contract. Um, obviously, Polinia will be fought over in the summer. I think Anthony Robinson's going to be subject to some bids, but Tosin just walking away. We can't let this happen. We we just we, like I, I mean, look. Is it the absolute end of days if Tossin leaves? No, I think we'll find someone else or we'll make it work. I, think, I genuinely think Bassi's probably the slightly more important of the two, but we, we've we got something good here. I think Tossin just wants love and ambition more than anything else. And I think if we say to Tossin, like, look, we're going to offer you a new contract. You can be one of the highest players paid, uh, paid players at Fulham and Marco's going to spend some money this summer. We're going to not just be languishing in the bottom half of the table. We're going to push on. I think that's all Tossin wants, personally. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what what more could you want? One one may argue. <laughs> yeah. I want to come on now to the, the red card incident. Harry Maguire's tackle on Sasha Lukic. I mean, I'm sorry. And I think I'm very much singing, uh, preaching to the choir here. But how how the hell is that? not been looked at how the hell was that not a red card Dan can you think of any reason why that shouldn't be a straight red card it was Old Trafford <laughs> that's, that's as good, Touché, good enough reason as any. <laughs> I mean yeah it, like it is it's just and, and you know what like I, I watching from the ground I, I saw the tackle and thought not much of it I was I was calling for Michael Oliver to book him retrospectively but then I just I got those notifications through the telegram of people being like that's a red card it's got to be a red card. And then there's just no symbol anywhere I've seen that anyone seemed to gave that a real look. And it, it's a really nasty challenge. I, it, whether he meant to to lay one in Lukic on the way he did, I think it's just clumsy, but that's dangerous. And they, they talk about this whole idea of like the ankle buckling being a, a barrier, like a, that's the sort of the barrier for a red. And, and Lukic ankle does buckle like it, that's that's a genuine ankle breaker I did quite like I think it was Harry Freemantle on Twitter who said that the sweet justice of it all was although he didn't get sent off for it it meant he couldn't pull Adama Traore down as we raced away to score the winner because he would have mm. received a second yellow card and been sent off so I think you know ultimately uh, we come out laughing but I mean the fact that he scored the equaliser and if United had gone on to win that I mean I would have I'd have my head would have been on Mars in a completely different way to how it was at the final whistle. I'd have been fuming. Match of the day's analysis of um, these kind of tackles is getting weirder and weirder because I remember after the Malagusto one, and I actually, look, if you're going to give me a choice with which one's worse, I think Malagusto's was worse. I, like, at least with Maguire's, it was on the foot and not on the ankle. Like, But I, I still think it should have been a red. I do just think that like this, these, these laws are very, very ambiguous. I think it's this and handball for me where the laws just aren't working like quite clearly within the game, but match the day, just 
seems so hesitant to ever say that something should be a red card. I, I, I find it really, really odd. It's as if they're like, Harry's going to call them up later and be like, oi, let's like, just, just have some gumption lads and just like say that it was wrong. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just a coincidence because the two kind of instances in a row where this has happened to Fulham match the day both times, which has been super passive over it. The most annoying thing is that it was, it was Richard Keyes who came out and was the one who said that that should have been a red card. And you're like, all right, great. The one pundit who <laughs> no one wants to hear say anything is the guy who comes out of Fulham's defence, like typical. Because on match of the day, they also, def- they also agreed that Gilmore's tackle for Brighton was a red card when he won the ball before he got the man. So there was like a maybe a snippet that you could say that maybe shouldn't have been a red card, but there was nothing more than just, yeah, was, that one was a yellow card for uh, Maguire. They didn't really brush over it more than just sort of trying to say, yeah, it was yellow, we agree with the ref. It almost feels like when um, Gary Neville and Carragher were under pressure on Sky for apparently having to agree with PGML, PGMOL, um, about decisions and there's this conspiracy that they're not allowed to really slag off the VAR decisions. And I wonder whether it could be something, you know, in that realm, but maybe that's a bit more uh, tinfoil hat rather than proper analysis. I have a tinfoil hat theory though on this is that I go. think that Gary particularly hates VAR. And I think he's kind of convinced them all that VAR is crap. And look, we don't necessarily disagree with him, but I think VAR has its place or at least, but I think Gary would rather it just be gone completely and I think almost any decision that means that VAR would have to intervene and come in means that he's almost like now backing referees decisions on the pitch in order to not be like look we need VAR I, I that's my only conspiracy slightly here it's not necessarily a bad one I kind of I kind of like it but at the same time it's it's kind of annoying because it keeps going against us. But the, the VAR, the VAR definitely has its place in the sport. It's just that the execution is so horrendous and inconsistent all the time. And it only makes you think that there is biases or pressure from somewhere else to make decisions go in a certain direction. So you look like even like AFCON, one of the most iconic moments of a goal being disallowed to give the other team a penalty is how it's used properly. And you don't care about the pressure of the crowd or the teams. It's just the, mo- the decisions being correct. And it just seems like like they're looking at it in the wrong way and making decisions based on the wrong information, well, the correct information, but using it incorrectly. And like they need to use automated offsides. They, they, they've got all these tools that like in Europe they use properly. It just seems like we're the only country that use VR badly. And that's why we have these debates. I can't imagine like in Italy, Spain, Germany, they have these similar debates to the degree that we need to. Mm. On the automated um, offsides, is they, I mean, maybe it's a stupid comment, but they in like any electronic football game, FIFA or Pro Evo, whatever, they have... It's just all automated and there's no questions. Like, how hard can it be to have a sensor in someone's, you know, the sternum on someone's shirt and then just have it all, like, you know, eliminate any sort of human error? But they have semi-automated offsides in the Champions League and international tournaments. And I think the Premier League want to bring it in. I think the technology might be quite... I think it requires a lot of cameras and a lot of extra investments, which considering this is the Premier League and the money it makes, I'm kind of surprised they haven't gone for it. But I think it's not fully rolloutable in because semi-automated offsides just does improve the game. Like it's so much even even like Maguire's 
it's so onside. Like, why mm. Why did that take any mm. time at all? Like, I could see it in about two seconds that, like, Calvin Bassey, with his massively long leg, played on, like, <laughs> half of half of Trafford. Like, you know, it was clearly onside. Like, why was it taking any time at all? Semi-automated offsides to improve the game. But there was someone who said something. I, it was a striker from another Premier League team. I want to say it was someone like Dominic Calvin-Lewin. I do agree with it, though. And I, I find myself doing it now more often than not, is when a Fulham goal goes in, I am reserved in myself, in my celebration, about 10, 15% of me, because I'm like, was that offside? Was he offside? Is that going to come back? And it is crap that that now happens. And look, I'm sure Dan in the 97th minute wasn't thinking. Um, at, and sometimes there are goals where you're just like, but you almost have to do that mental maths in, the, in your head. It's like, was that a good goal? Yes. Or, like, or was mm. that like a marginal goal? Maybe that's going to get pulled back. And that is a rubbish part of VAR, which I still believe, like for me, that essence. And when we played in the Carabao Cup and it was gone, it was suddenly like when Willian scored that goal at Anfield, it was, it was, it was just full emotion because you were like, it's a goal. There's an absolute no yeah, yeah. Linesman's not flagged. Referee's pointed to the spot. It's a goal. Go mad. And it is a shame that that's been taken out of the game. Yeah. But then I'd say on the flip side of that, much like we did yesterday with Manchester United's goal, when the opposition scores, you've still got that moment of hope. You're like, could that be? Could that <laughs> be like, is, please, offside. Look, are you looking at Shirley, not Shirley Bassey, uh, Calvin Bassey's <laughs> long leg peering out of his shorts like Jessica Rabbit, sort of like, nah, that's definitely onside. <laughs> Just on Manchester United's goal quickly. Um, I don't, I'm really, really even hesitant to say it because it's, it's, you know, it was such a joyous win and and I, I really don't want to sort of dig any player out. But I feel like Avas, perhaps Bert Leno's sort of, the way he spills it, the way that he parries it out. I mean, it, it has to go down as a, a mistake for, for Leno, I'm afraid. There was like a 10 minute spell when we were under pressure where Leno couldn't hold on to the ball and he was parrying things into dangerous areas. And it, it just happened to be another one of those moments in that game where he did make a mistake. And I think if he parried that to his left or caught it, or I think he was distracted by the player that was making the run across. I can't remember who it was, who he thought was offside. Um, but I think it does sadly go down as a mistake. And is, there's been there've been a couple in 2024 that he's made errors with like that Burnley away is another one, but I loathe to say anything more than that because he's got so much credit in the bank. Yeah, I just feel like there's I don't know is there an element of concentration? Is it nerves? Since those corners pinged in onto his head, he's hasn't been the same on corners either. There's something that needs to be sort of thought about there, but ultimately he saved us more points this and last season than he's given away. Let's say, um, but. Um, you know, we won, so ultimately, who cares? It did. It did grease up a little bit. There was the. It rained in that in that second half, and I do think that that's not helped. And obviously, I mean, like goalkeepers have got to deal with that, of course. But it doesn't. It doesn't help in those situations when you've got shots coming across the face of goal, maybe skipping on balls where I think it did. It did look like he wasn't necessarily trying to parry all of them. He was just not holding on. And it was, I, I, I do think he, he should be doing better. The flip side was where I thought Burn actually improved yesterday compared to previous matches was Manchester United had the same set piece corner tactics that most teams are deploying, not just against us, but against other teams in the Premier League is pinning a load of players around the goalkeeper and then dropping it on top of the goalkeeper and trying to swamp him. And Burn, especially in the first half, dealt with a couple really well where I think he's been a bit weak recently, but he was really strong. He came out and claimed or punched 
And so that was nice to see. I thought in the first half, he was flawless. It was just that, yeah, that weird little 20-minute spell in the second half when United started to get in the ascendancy where it, it just felt like one of those moments where Fulham were just going to bottle it again. And it was those little things where under pressure scenarios, little things like that start to go wrong, where, you know, it, it, in the first half, he probably holds that under less pressure. He, I think he probably just claims that shot from Fernandez. Can we also say, though, that I, I actually think... To save Leno here, I think Bassi's quite at fault for not holding the line. Like because if Bassi holds the line, but with Tossin and I think Diop, um, then McTominay, who distracts Leno massively because of his run, and Maguire are both offside. So whichever way it falls, mm. even if Maguire had stayed onside, McTominay would have been called offside because you could have called that interfering with play the way he ran in front of Leno's vision. So and like as much as like Leno like. I don't know how else he's actually supposed to save that to because like Maguire's just right there. So unless he like kind of pulls it back into his midriff, which is hard because he's at full stretch. I don't know where, like he does an amazing parry. It would have to go like miles off to the left. I actually not hundred percent sure what Leno's supposed to do there. I guess you could argue keep hold of it, but then I'm not a goalkeeper and I certainly would not. That would be squirming out of my hands like a bar of soap. Um, so, yeah, um, as I said, I'm very um, hesitant to to, to criticise him at all, really, to be honest. But I get where you're coming from, Sammy. I, I do indeed. I just want to come on quickly to the substitutions that we made. Uh, Tom Kearney and Adama Traore in particular. I mean, is there a better duo to introduce when you have a game like a really open game like yesterday, Dan. I mean, TC's control and his ability to, to see the vision combined with Adama Traore's pace. It was just, it was just a match made in heaven. It was so exciting. You had that sense that anything could happen. And I guess another question I want to tie into this is, do you feel like Adama Traore is this season's Man of Solomon in that we've only <laughs> seen him in fleeting glimpses and when they have, it's just been so exciting, but it's just like, you know, he sort of appears like a, like a rare Pokemon and then, and then he's <laughs> off again. <laughs> I, I, I did love TC coming on. I mean, it's like, it's always going to happen. Like TC was going to come on in that game, regardless of the situation. Cause if you, if you're trying to, get a goal his ability to get on the ball and make things happen gives you that gives you that edge and if you're leading his ability to get on the ball and stop things from happening also gives you an edge and there was a moment at 1-0 where I'm certain that he must have beaten about four United players in like one moment like he got swamped like four United players swarmed around him and he just pinged out the other side of it with the ball. Like, it's almost like in comical fashion where they all charge at one and then all four United players crash into one another and Tom Kearney comes out the other side, like little birds tweeting around their heads. It was like, it was, it was prime Tom and I, I loved that. I actually thought when he first came on, he was a little bit sloppy, but after that, he settled into the game and, and was brilliant. And then on Adama Traore, I was really annoyed for 20 minutes after he came on because it felt like we just didn't use that outlook. There are a number of times where we got on the ball in our defensive third and you think, oh, just just pin it into that far right corner and let Adama run. And we just didn't seem to do it. And then finally he got his opportunity. And I mean, it is, it is like the funniest video you will ever see. Harry Maguire like trudging after him. Like, <laughs> it is hilarious. Like, the, the, dis the gap between them grows at an almost impossible rate. Like it's exponential <laughs> as he runs past him. And, and he, he did brilliantly. And he, I, 
I know what you're saying about Manor Solomon, but there's just something about Traore, and it is purely pace based, but how exciting it is to have a player like him on the pitch. I said it after the the Villa game, just having someone like him who everyone gets excited to see come on. Like everyone was calling for that sub. Everyone wanted to see the the ball get passed to him at every opportunity because you just want to see what he can do. But I, I like and and in a way he is that one trick pony that Manuel Solomon was because it's get on the ball, kick it 15 yards ahead of you and back yourself in a foot race. Whereas Manuel Solomon was cut inside from the left and see if you can whip it far far corner. But I I I loved it. I mean that is like exactly how we expected Adama Troyer to have an impact on this side. And it's so nice that he has, because it's been such a like a shitty time for him and us as fans. Like we were all so excited about it. And I imagine he was hoping for a fresh start in his career where it's sort of stagnated a little bit over the past two years. And that, that felt like a culmination of everything we've been waiting for. It all came out and at Old Trafford. Mm. If you take it into consideration per minutes played per, I don't know what the X or whatever would be but exciting moments per minutes played I'm sure he's got to be up there with like the best in Europe surely he had that moment where he nearly clinched victory uh, away at the Emirates which would have been just I mean it's not even worth thinking about that moment uh, what could have been and then yesterday Awobi's goal uh, I mean Dan we got we haven't even t- spoken about it yet but can you just explain to me the joy the euphoria the elation the raptures that happened in that Fulham away end when Awobi coolly wrong-footed the entire Manchester United defence and just side-footed at home, sent the camera flying, sent fans flying. What was it like? Uh, it was a total mess. And I've been told I've given my <laughs> girlfriend the ick as well, which isn't great. because I, 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 for no apparent reason, whipped my top off. I, I really don't know why I did it. But I like in that moment of like pure elation... I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I was like grabbing onto myself. And then just in that moment, off came my jumper. And unfortunately, at the same time, most of my T-shirt as well. So there was a lot of belly on show in the uh, in the away end at Old Trafford. And I've been reliably informed by other people that they also did the same thing. And they're not too sure why. Like there's just in that moment, I just don't think anyone knew quite how to react. And it was quite a weird one because I, th- I, th- I was speaking about it with Avast before the pod. The way the ball goes in, it doesn't nestle in the net and sit in the goal. It doesn't look like it's, you know, just calmly rolled in. It pings off this camera and up. And you suddenly you're like, has that hit the stanchion? Has that, like, w- what has happened here? And you see him wheel away to the other end of Old Trafford. You're like, where are you going? Come back here. And then finally, like, spins around and runs to the away end. And I don't know how long those celebrations lasted, but it must have been like two or three minutes that Alex Awobi was, like, pointing it out different people in the crowd and being like, that was for you. And that one's for you as well. And for you. (laughs) But if you ever want to explain to anyone what football's about, it's that very moment. Because football's not about 22 men kicking a ball around as much as it is about the emotions it creates and, like, the cathartic feeling it gives you when... For the last like five minutes of that game, where you're watching behind your behind your fingers, you're just desperate not to concede. So then to go down the other end and see someone like Adama struggle for so long, destroy Ericsson and Maguire, run past their whole team, do something great for for his first uh, assist in the in his Fulham career, and then set up a Wobi who's had a torrid time with his Nigerian fans to score a winner against United after all the turmoil of like the last year against United, as Sam we said before. That emotion is exactly what football's about. 
And like, I don't blame Dan for taking his shirt off because it's worthy of that moment. It was absolutely amazing. And then you add the fact that it's been 20 odd years, what happened with Mitro last year. Like it was just a buildup of everything just blew out on this amazing emotion. And that is what sport's all about. And that's why like at nine o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, we're talking about it because that's what it's all about. It's, it's the emotion of the sport as much as it is about, you know, score lines and statistics. It was such a nonchalant finish as well. It was like so calm and just like, you know, when they do that little pre-match warm-up where you, you pass one into Luis Bermorte, he lays one off and you try and beat the, the third choice yeah. keeper who's saving a few shots. That's sort of what Wobi did. He just sort of stood up. He was like, oh, I'll, just, I'll whip that one near post. And, and that <laughs> camera angle, that camera angle from in that corner is just so beautiful. Yeah. It's like it like just arcs towards it and twats it. Like it is just beautiful. <laughs> inject it Sammy just before we wrap up this this half is this the moment of the season so far I mean we've had some very good moments this year obviously we had the penalty shootout victory against Everton we beat Arsenal at home I mean for me it's 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 between this and the Everton penalty shootout but I feel like this may this may just pip it you know what do you reckon I love the cups and I haven't had an emotion quite like the Everton win on penalties that was really, really special. And as much as yesterday, like I, I genuinely think yesterday is really, really close, but there's something about the fact that we'd made a cup run. We were dreaming of Wembley at that moment. I genuinely loved that Everton game so much, but yeah, yesterday to kind of not just win a game in dramatic circumstances. And I've asked mentioned this right just, just a minute ago, not just to win it in dramatic circumstances, which was amazing, but also, yeah, to banish demons from the kind of, past year and a half we've been rubbish against Manchester United as well and actually Jack said on Thursday's podcast he's like we've got a good record against United I was like I feel like some of the score lines like in the Hodgson days are clouding our judgment we have basically lost every game against United for all and there's been a couple of like all right draws in there but like we really have been mostly terrible against them um or we've capitulated so I think just to to bury some demons and what also I think is amazing is like, this is not supposed to be a remarkable season. This is like our second season in the league. We lost our star striker and Marco's still making amazing memories, despite seemingly having a hand tied behind his back. Um, the fact that you're asking me whether a last minute winner at Old Trafford is the moment of the season and I'm not a hundred percent sure is just a testament to like what we've been able to produce this season under pretty difficult circumstances. Mm. I, I pray I get an opportunity at some point in my life to buy Marco Silver a beer. I really do. <laughs> I really do. Right, that'll do for part one. Don't go anywhere because we'll be back with some of your questions. Welcome back. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. Coops here. I'm joined by Avas, Dan and Sammy. Just a quick thank you to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Fulhamish. Uh, I use NordVPN pretty much every day in my working life. You know, I've got to get clips from various different football matches across Europe and sometimes on Twitter. The, the juice of rights reasons and TV licenses, you, you aren't able to watch goals from the Serie A or, you know, La Liga and NordVPN in the click of a button helps me watch the world's football and get what I need. It's brilliant. You can watch it. You can use it to watch football when you're abroad. Also, when I'm on holiday and I want to catch up a match of the day and I can't because you can't get BBC abroad, you just switch your VPN to the UK and you're straight through. Honestly, it's so, so easy. Everyone uh, across the Fulhamish team use it. 
mainly, let's be honest, to, to watch football in some capacity. But you can use one account on up to six devices. You can try it for 30 days, completely free of commitment. So you get a money back guarantee. You've literally got absolutely nothing to lose. And at this moment in time, you get a discount and four months free by going to nordvpn.com forward slash Fulhamish. Plus... Another bonus, if you're in the UK, USA, Australia or Canada, you also get a free Uber Eats voucher when you sign up using that link. I used mine yesterday to watch the, um, when I was watching the Man U game, got myself a nice tie. Literally, no strings attached. What more could you want? So great rate, four months free and an Uber Eats voucher in those countries. All you need to do is go to nordvpn.com forward slash Fulhamish and, and that's it. Right, on to your questions now. We'll kick this one off with Conor Reigns. We've already spoken about our beloved Brazilian R9, Ronaldo 9 in the making. Honestly, just such a complete striker's performance yesterday. I was so proud. I rewatched the highlights this morning before recording and just you forget like his ability in the air. He was winning headers from corners, holding the ball up in the way that we used to see Bobby Zamora linking play. That turn that he did against Maguire and then smashed the outside of the post was just, if that had gone in, that would be arguably in the goal of the month, you know, uh, conversations. It was just such an amazing performance. But Connor asks, can you think of a player, Sammy, that has changed fans' opinions on them in such a short period of time as Muniz has? I know Aguisa and Seri came back and were mustered, but they always had high expectations. I can't think of anyone that's done it to this extent. And like thinking about, we were tearing our hair out about Raul and and Muniz, what felt like, you know, a matter of weeks ago. And now everyone just, he's, he's cementing himself as a, as a fan favourite. Can you think of anyone who's bridged that gap in such a quick space of time, Sammy? Or is this just sort of testament to the fickle nature of football fans? Um, probably a little bit. I mean, in the short term, Raul had a, a bit of a transformation um, this season. But again, we all knew what Raul was capable of. And I think with Muniz after the end of last season, I genuinely was just like, he's not capable of anything. He's capable of playing in Serie C. Um I think going back a bit longer, Bobby Zamora had a big transformation at Mm -hmm. Fulham. But again, you knew what Bobby Zamora was capable of. He just was poor in his first season. The, I think, obvious one that comes to mind is Chris Baird and how that happened with a flick of a switch. It literally happened with two random goals at Stoke um, (laughs) where Baird became Baerdinho, um, like a Pokemon um, evolving. Um, And it's that Chris Baird and Chris Baird became such a big player after that for Fulham and such a reliable and dependable player. But yeah, I, I, I honestly, I'm so happy with Muniz. I think every game in this month, I've been like, you know, when he scored against Burnley, I was like, all right, lads, it's Burnley. Although I was happy for him and stuff. I was like, yeah, you scored against Burnley and you nearly messed it up. And then the Bournemouth game, I was like, okay, well, you scored two and I'm really happy for you here. Um, but also like maybe this was a one-off. Then he scored a really great poachers goal against Villa and was generally pretty good against a very good defence. And, and you're like a bit more like, well, this guy's on form. And after yesterday, I'm actually starting to wonder, have we got the answer? Like, is it, are we at that level now where actually the answer was there all along? He just needed a little bit of confidence growth, a little, uh, little sprinkle of water, and he was going to turn into this striker solution that we didn't realise we had all along. And for whatever reason, I still don't know if I'm 100% convinced I don't know why it's just something in the back of my mind going like, it has to just be a run of form. Like we cannot have just found like the new, new Premier League striker under the sofa. 
Like we can't, that cannot <laughs> have just happened, but it seems to have happened. I mean, I'm fascinated to know what everyone else thinks about this because I can't work it out. Yeah, it's a, it's a real head scratcher. It, it really is. And I guess really only time will tell. But I mean, there was a great article that Peter wrote about uh, Moonies and the phenomenon. And li- there was some links. I'll dig it out. I'll put it in the description to this podcast. But to some of the goals that he scored while he was, while he was playing in the Brazilian league. And they were just, you know, overhead kicks from outside the area. And there's, there's obviously, uh, you know, an unpolished diamond there. And I guess it, it, I, I can't tell. It's, it's flip of a coin for me at the minute as to whether he becomes the next Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, or whether he just becomes, you know, a jobbing sort of championship striker. It, it really is, it baffles the mind. And James Barron had another question that I'm going to chat to you, Abbas. If Moon is, this is more kind of short term, if he maintains form of fitness, does Broya play a game at all? Well, there's no reason to. If Munez is doing I mean, what he's doing. Arguably, the reason would be the four million pounds that we'd have to ship out to Chelsea. But I guess we've alluded to this in pods in the past, like four millions, well, four million pounds well spent. If that's made Munez become the, the potential R9 of our future. Um, I, mean, I do, I've got to spare a thought for Borough. Poor guys coming across here, hoping to get run of games himself to, to get his own form up to shape. But do you know, all for, if that's made Mooners into this undroppable player, then I'm all for it. Four million pounds well spent, quite, quite frankly. Um, and he's like, his transformation Mooners is absolutely incredible. All credit for me goes to Marco as well for persevering with him and believing in him. And when we couldn't see it and now we are starting to see it. And I, I wonder what pre-season be like for Munez in terms of not just the transfer window in terms of us potentially buying in a striker but what his role will be and if he can maintain how he's playing and develop further over this pre-season he could be a real asset to us at the beginning of next season potentially if not you know if we do sign someone go off on loan or be that backup striker he's he's more than earned his place in that squad so this is this is like heady times for us when like three months ago we didn't have a single striker and now we're overexcited about the the giraffe <laughs> this is what I was going to say. This is like he's like this this awkwardness that he's got. And previously, for the past two and a half years, this was like a bad awkwardness. You like you look wrong when the ball's at your feet. You look awkward when you're trying to win headers and hold the ball up. And now he's awkward in like the perfect annoying centre forward way where he just makes it so difficult for centre backs because he's always there he's always throwing his body around he's learned how to use his body as well and I think that's a big thing for young sort of more target men style centre forwards where they just have to start to get smart with how they use their size and their strength mm. and he's he's learned how to do that a bit now he's learned how to challenge for headers and he's not just to be able to do that but once he's done that hard bit of of winning the ball he seems to be composed enough to then f- bring other players into play. And I it just like you get, I had it yesterday and I was, I was speaking to my dad yesterday and we were both saying like, who is this guy? Cause it, it, it's just such a stark difference from anything we've seen from him before. Like people talk about Stoke away and stuff like that, but that wasn't like a complete center force performance. He got goals, but he didn't do what he did for the past four weeks, which is be genuinely contribute throughout the whole game as a, genuine link for the rest of the team and, and that's amazing and I, I think everyone's right in saying that, that there's so many people who deserve credit for this like Muniz deserves credit because he's he's clearly working tirelessly to be as good as he can be Marco deserves credit for for trusting in him and, and clearly Marco's done this with other players as well being in terms of coaching them properly into becoming good footballers and then I think the players around him you look at like Willian who 
Moonies is obsessed with. Like, it's really sweet how much he seems to love William. And he, like, who can blame him? Because he'll have grown up watching this guy play for Brazil. And that was the pinnacle for him. And, and now he gets to play alongside him. And I think just so many people have come together and trusted in this guy. And we're finally getting the results from it. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's wonderful to see. It really is. And I think just like on top of all what he's been doing on the field, it's so obvious the the love that is felt from the rest of the squad towards him as well. You see like his victories, his goals are the team's goals. And he's always the first one that he just seems like a real, I don't know, he's like, he's like the puppy of the group, isn't he? That everyone just seems to, everyone seems to love. And hopefully this Rich Vaden form continues. We've had a few questions now, Dan, about the, the starting 11 for next week, because as we said earlier, there wasn't a single player that didn't, deliver it was it was just an all-round complete team performance that was that gelled we were just firing on all, all cylinders who who do you drop because obviously we've got Paulini who's going to be coming back from suspension so logic has he not has he got two games now okay I mean do we just go same same 11 rinse and repeat Dan I can't I, see I, what else happens I think you've got to I think you've got to like that, that was and, and you look at coming up against Brighton, who again a very good pressing side, and then good in possession. I think you you play that that same team. You you can't drop any of that front three. I don't think because I think they all performed. That midfield three worked really really well, and you know that combination of of Lukic and Harrison Reed, which we've seen before. And I think we all, uh, barring a few people who I've seen on Twitter, everyone really does need to apologise to Sasha Lukic because as much as we you know, and I'm try- I made a case for him as like a counterpoint to why maybe he could come in last week. But I still firmly believe that Kearney and Harrison Reed was the the choice for yesterday. But Lukic was superb. And then that combination with Harrison Reed next to him, they did manage to do that, the impossible, which was between the two of them combined to produce one Joao Polina. And that was like, that was what we needed. And they did it brilliantly. And actually through the whole game, I actually forgot, that we didn't have Joao. Like I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, looking at situations, thinking like, oh, that's where we need a Joao. I just, it just didn't come to mind at all because the midfield three worked so well as a collective that we didn't actually miss him, which is nuts. Go on then, Sammy, you're going to shout me down it. No, I'm going to say, say it quietly. Do you think that if you played that game again tomorrow, Dan, and Joao wasn't suspended, who would you pick in midfield? <laughs> I'd pick Joao Polina in midfield, Sammy. He's our best player. I know he's our best player, but I thought that yesterday... <laughs> It worked amazingly. Like Lukic almost seemed like tailor made for this game because United give you a lot of space in midfield and allow you to drive and allow you to break the lines. And Sasa Lukic did it perfectly. I just wonder if actually weirdly yesterday it was tailor made. Doesn't give us hope for next season if we sell Polina that we have ways (laughs) to still manage that midfield well. Yeah, if only we could just play Man U every week. That'd be. Sammy, we've got a question here from Motor City Fulham. Uh, and I wanted to finish on this one because, you know, as, as football fans, we, we love to dream. But is it reasonable to start dreaming of a European push? Or am I crazy <laughs> oh my or hyper-analyzing schedules today after that Not win? Again. I mean, my, Charlie, my mate, texted me yesterday saying, is Europe on? And I was like, no, nah, don't be ridiculous. And he he said, you know, there's there's a lot of very winnable fixtures coming up and 
I mean, pff, my instant reaction was no way, but are there a few people that are sort of floating this idea? Uh, what do you reckon, Sammy? Bit stretched too far? A bit like Fulham were never going down because there's too many teams in the way for us to go down. We're not going to get Europe because there's too many in the tip teams in the way for us to get Europe. Obviously, we could, in theory, win nine of the of the final 12 games and get into the conference league that is something that can happen but it won't happen um and the only thing that is interesting is if i and i don't know the answer is if eighth is a europe is a europa conference yeah. league position i think from what i've read that it's really unlikely it's really unlikely that england will get the five champions league places there is a chance but it's unlikely um i think then obviously like the Carabao cup final that's today if Chelsea win it, then eighth is definitely pretty much gone. So a lot of things have to fall for eighth to be a conference league um, place. And no, and I, and look, I, I also just don't think we're ready. I just don't think we're ready as a squad to deal with those midweek Saturdays, midweeks. You know, we struggled with a Carabao Cup run this year. Like it absolutely mm. floored us. Um, and I think you see that it's really, really difficult to, to, to make it work. And I think you're going to see a few teams like Brighton and stuff struggle with their upcoming games against, you know, illustrious opponents are going to take it out of them. Um, so I just don't think we're ready. Yes. It's, I, I, I want top 10. I've said it all year. I've said it for ages now. I think we're capable of top 10. I think top 10 gives you a really nice financial, um, boost as well, because the, 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 money per position and the amount of money that Fulham got last year by finishing 10th is huge in terms of the profit sustainability. And it's almost like being able to sign another player. I believe it's that much money. I think Fulham can get top 10 and that would be a hell of an achievement. And even right now, that's kind of like unlikely. Adding to that point, uh, I was looking at where we were this time last season after 26 games in terms of points and goals and things. We're only seven points behind where we were this time last season, which sounds ludicrous given how tumultuous this season seems to have felt. We're only two goals fewer than, la than last season, which sounds bonkers given how few goals we started off this season with. But if we were to match last season's points tally, we would need 20 points off these last 12 games, which doesn't sound like it doesn't sound impossible, but seems probably a bit unlikely, but you're probably a little stretched too far, but we only got 13 points or 12 points around this time from, from this point onwards last season. And we had that bit of a purple patch in January that probably propelled us. So do we think that we can get 20 points in these last 12 games? Can we see like four wins, five wins? Well, maybe six wins. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, mean, I think it's, do, it's doable. And then the, the, the difference to last season is that we actually, we like, tailed off big time last season because we ran out of steam, we ran out of momentum and we lost our centre forward. Whereas actually it feels like we, we're building up a little bit here. Players have come back in, players are finding form, players are getting fit again. And so I think we are carrying some momentum into the back end of the season. I don't think we'll get any higher than 10th, but I'd like given that the way the first half of the season went, given what was happening over the summer, where I think, not necessarily within the fan base, but so many people outside were, were looking at Fulham as one of the potential three to go down. I saw quite a lot of people putting Fulham in that bottom three. Like if, if we finish in that 10th to 12th spot, good old two fingers up at everyone who thinks that Marco Silva can't cut it as a Premier League manager, who thinks that this squad isn't good enough because they are, and he is, 
Like, it, like I mean, if you're talking man of the match, I know you asked Sammy earlier. If if you could really give it to anyone, it's probably Marco Silva because he's just absolutely nailed that. And it's weird. He does seem to have United's number a bit, and he does it against a few teams. Like similarly against Brighton, we were talking about coming up against them. There's something about Marco Silva and 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 teams that maybe we shouldn't be better than, but he just knows how to set our players up. And I quite liked after the end of the game, he said something along the lines of what I'm paraphrasing. <clears throat> he said that it doesn't change home or away. We play this way, our way. And I love that because that's such like, when you look at teams who don't have an identity, you know, you look at Palace who under, under Roy and they've been, and, and West Ham under Moyes where they just don't really know what they are. United under Ten Hag, no one seems to know what they are we have such like a defined philosophy and it's so good. And, and we do have our way of playing and I love that so much. Mm, I thought you were sort of repeating some verses from the Frank Sinatra song, My Way there. It's so, like, <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. Imagine Marco Silva so overcome with three points at Old Trafford that he starts crooning. <laughs> and now the end is near. <laughs> <laughs> just on uh, just quickly last note on the whole European dream the, the fair play league's no longer a thing is it I, I suppose Shao would have made we're not sure winning that. it if, that, if it is Shao Bellini single handedly <laughs> ruling out any possibility of the fair play league which doesn't even exist anymore anyway so it's a moot point um, I think I'd say a nice way to end what has been an incredibly enjoyable podcast, possibly one of my favourites uh, ever. Sammy, have you got a favourite three-word review that you would like to name this pod? There's only there's only one three-word review that's winning it today. Jack and Loz, and I cannot wait to read their blog later. I hope they do one. I know they don't always do it for away games, but I really hope they've done one uh, for, for yesterday's game. Uh, Where Eagles Dare. Um, it's just Amazing. an outrageously good three word review. And actually, Coops, just um, interesting that you mentioned that it's one of your favourite pods because I'll never forget the post United FA Cup one. And uh, <laughs> I think you were both on that as well, uh, Coops and Dan. You were both yeah, on that we pod. And that, and that must have been one of my lowest ever <laughs> Fulhamish podcasts, one of the most dark <laughs> in history. So. <laughs> Here we are, 11 <laughs> months later, and we're all smiling. So uh, what, what a beautiful bit of serendipity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there have been some iconic Fulham missions over the years. The, the, the ones that spring to mind are the Whisper Pod, and I believe the post-United <laughs> one was known as the Sweary Pod, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, but yeah, how, how the difference a season can make, eh? Anyway, I suspect Fulham fans across the country are going to have, across the world, they're going to have a spring in their steps going into the office on Monday morning. Have an amazing week. We'll be back on Thursday, Sammy and co, to have the final word on Manchester United game and also look ahead to that Brighton game at home on Saturday. Until then, come on you whites. Have a good one. <laughs>